This is a message about church leadership. Now already we've probably blown that word leadership out of the realm of what you think church leadership should be. How many want to agree with that or not agree with it? One of the things that we often do in our thinking when we think, okay, church, we think of robes, very solemn, very somber, quiet, not noisy. Inside the building is kind of dark. But, you know, Jesus, when he chose his disciples... Where was he when he chose his disciples? He was at the beach. (laughs) He was walking along the shores of Galilee. And here were some guys, sweaty, stripped down to their waist, pulling in nets. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Well, that would probably make anybody sit up and take notice. Fishers of men. No, I think he got it wrong. We're fishermen. (laughs) Not fishers of men. But Jesus had that shocking ability or that ability to shock people to bring us to the reality of what he was talking about. So that with the words that Jesus used, he didn't use them just to shock people, just for the sake of getting attention to himself, but to shock them to the point where their premonitions or their thoughts and ideas of what worship and what it meant to give yourself to God or to follow God was changed. Just with that, I will make you fishers of men. Have you ever thought about that? I hadn't really thought of it until I started these last couple of weeks to think about the theme of what we've been talking about, what is, and then came to me that we need to talk about church leadership because that's very important, extremely important. In fact, it's so extremely important that every one of you are potential, and not even potential. If you name Christ, you are a leader. You are a letter that people will read and make a decision about Jesus Christ without you saying a word, other than the fact that they may have heard that you were a Christian. When we see that word up there, church leadership, we think first of priests and pastors, preachers, those that are ordained, those that have gone through many years of study and now know everything there is to know about the Bible and more. That's in our image. That's that's in there. But I hope that today that will be destroyed. I think I've already blown it as far as a pastorish type of person that I'm not. But I think that with 
this, we need to bring some sobriety or some serious thought on what is church leadership and who qualifies, who would be good enough to answer Jesus' invitation, follow me and I will make you fishers of people, men and women and children. So let's look at this subject. For those of you who are new here, or maybe some of you who haven't been here for a while, we've been going through, I think it's five Sundays now, on what is communion, what is baptism, what is the church, what is prayer, what is the Great Commission, what is communion. We've gone through and looked at these various things, things that we do, that Christians do on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon whenever their church gets together. And they just, to us, just become commonplace things. But we've been kind of taking a a microscope and looking at these and looking at the Word of God to see what is really behind these things that we just kind of take for granted Sunday after Sunday. Church leadership. We're going to look at these points. The disciples of Jesus, the gifts to the church, the elders and the deacons, and then finally a a conclusion that will lead us, hopefully, to pray for church leaders. The disciples of Christ. Luke 6, 12 to 16. It was at this time that he, Jesus, went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The twelve disciples, we call them. These men were ordinary men. They were not what we call church people. None of them were. They were not churched. Even though they were Jewish and were taught in the Jewish traditions, yet their world, their lifestyle, their daily employment or occupation seldom took them to the temple. They were just guys on the beach dragging a net full of fish. They were going around catching people and saying, you owe us the city tax, or you owe this tax. They were people that were just ordinary people. In fact, they were like you <laughs> and me. That's who these guys were. There, there wasn't anything really that would stand out, and you'd say, whoa, this person is really marked for becoming someone great in the world. None of them. Have you ever thought about that? None of those guys, I don't think, 
had it in their mind, someday I'm going to be famous. Someday people are going to say, wow. None of them thought that way. They were doing their business, everyday business, like you and I. But Jesus said, follow me and I will make you, I will make you, I will make something of you. He also, Jesus, when he prayed, he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God, his father. Jesus had been called. He knew he had been sent from heaven to earth. I don't believe that, and I think you've heard me say, I don't believe that Jesus, the Son of God, incarnate, born of a virgin, I don't believe that Jesus as a baby lying in the manger would look up and say, Mary, if you only knew who I am. I think Jesus had to grow up like you and I. And it really wasn't until he was about 12 years old, which I believe in the heart of every 12-year-old boy or girl at that age have a God consciousness. Think back of your own 11, 12, 13, 14 years of age. Where were you in your psyche, in your thinking? I think it's where a young person begins to develop an understanding of God consciousness. You think it's much earlier than that? Well, by statistics, the most receptive age for learning about God is at that age group. If God has called you to minister to pre-high school age people, do it. And make sure you share with them who Jesus Christ is. And if you have a child in that age, pray for them. That they will truly understand who their Heavenly Father is. It's a very important age. And I, the only reason why I mention that is because when I was 11 years old, my heart was touched. And that's when I received Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that that's everybody's experience. No, but it does. I'm kind of biased. Maybe you say, well, of course you are. But I think if we think back on our own lives of what happened in those years, I think you'll discover that there was some you might call God tugs in your heart. I see some nodding heads about that. Well, maybe you didn't even know there was a Jesus at that age. But you knew there was something out there. There was someone out there. And you were sensitive to it. Okay, enough of that. But Jesus knew that he had to spend a night in prayer. Why? Why did he spend a night in prayer to choose 12 men? Think about this. What was going to happen to these 12 guys? Do you know what happened to James? 
Simon, called Peter also, Thomas, Bartholomew, Philip, Matthew, James, Simon the Zealot, Judas, and even Judas Iscariot, let alone John. Every one of them suffered. Every one of them but two were martyred. And possibly even John was martyred. We don't know. But he lived to be an old man and wrote the last book of the Bible along with other writings. Judas Iscariot hung himself. Or as another tradition is, he threw himself down off a high place and committed suicide. But every one of these men, when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, that wasn't just, hey, we're going fishing, guys. It was serious stuff. He was asking for life commitment from them. You know that the organization that you join has an impact on your life? and especially the organization or the entity of the church demands your life. We talked about tithe, giving 10%. Well, in the New Testament, it's not 10%. It's 100%. And maybe we could even say, kind of unrealistically, 110% you have to give. This was serious when he was praying for these 12 men and even Judas who was to betray him. Wow. These were the disciples of Jesus. In Acts we read, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that was what they called the disciples of Jesus. They were the people of the way, both men and women. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him. Now here's what this guy Paul was like. His name was Saul. He was a murderer. He had directed the murder of one of the disciples of Jesus. At least we know one. There may have been more. This guy was really after these people that followed Jesus. And he wanted their heads. And he had the authority to do it. Pretty serious, isn't it? And from the light came the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Jesus called to the disciples, follow me. To Saul, who would later be called Paul, he says, get up and go to this certain place 
and it'll be told you what you are to do. And he got up and did that. Changed his life dramatically from a very pious religious zealot to a man who was blind and needed somebody to open his eyes. And Aeneas, who was a godly man, received him because the Lord said, I have much work for him to do. And this Christian helped Paul to understand who Jesus Christ was. And he became one of the most famous and ardent followers of Jesus Christ, Paul the Apostle. What are the gifts? Paul was a gift to the church. We, as those who are Christians, we read Paul's writings, I trust, every day because he grew to know who Jesus Christ truly was. Even though he probably had never laid eyes on Jesus, but yet he became a follower, a zealous follower of Jesus Christ. And he wrote this. And he, Jesus, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, apostle is someone, we don't use that word, but we do say, well, he's a messenger, or he's a uh, announcer, uh, maybe he's a news broadcaster. That's what the word means, apostle. It means someone that's sent to give a message. Some are prophets, not P-R-O-F-I-T, but one who has a word from God, as speaking from God is what that means. Words of God. Or evangelists. We talked about evangelism in evangelists a couple of weeks ago when we talked about what is the Great Commission. And an evangelist is, well, in the middle of that word is angel, announcer. He's someone that comes specially to tell you some news. And we talk about the Bible as being the good news of Jesus Christ. Like the angels came when Jesus was born. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth to all men. To you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's what the angels said. They were evangelists. And many of us have that gift in us. Maybe you're not using it. But I think that there are some here in this congregation who could move in that and could understand, yes, God has given me that gift and I am a gift to the church. Some are pastors. What is a pastor? Well, it's not somebody that's living in the past. <laughs> but you know the word pasture, right? A pastor is a shepherd. Sheep, where do they stay? What do they eat? They eat grass out in the pasture. And so the guy that, or maybe even a woman, has that calling to care for people, to pastor people, taking care of their spiritual needs. And teachers, how many of you are officially by the government or by 
the organization you work for, you are a teacher. That is a high calling. That is one of the gifts. Have you ever thought that God called you not just in employment as a teacher, but you could take the Bible and take a Bible verse and be able to teach another person what that truly means. These are gifts to the church. And we have these people, I believe, in our midst here. What is their purpose? All these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For the equipping of the saints. How many saints do we have in the room here? Only one saint at a time, please. (laughs) We're saints. And we don't even know it. But we should. And I'll, I'll keep that before us. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. That is the purpose. That is the goal. To the building up of the body of Christ. Equipping the saints to build up the body of Christ. The body of Christ. We represent our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe not as well and and good as we should. But nonetheless, we are his representatives. This, as we gather in his name, he is here with us in this place. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Now we're getting down to the nitty gritty stuff. Unity? Unity? What does unity mean? Well, we're going to talk about that, okay? And of the knowledge of the Son of God, okay, that's part of unity, by the fact that what do we believe? We believe that there is one God, maker of heaven and earth, Father God who sent his Son into the world, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God, our Father, the knowledge of His Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We are to be mature people, not just the men, but also the women and the children. We are to be mature and maturing people of Christ following him, knowing his word, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we are bringing each other to that full stature so that when people look at MCC, what will they take away? These people are acting as if they were Jesus. And we would be like Jesus to people. Wow. But that's what, I, that's what I see in there. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. He is living in me. What a calling. What a calling. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Do you hear that echoing in your heart? 
Do you have that burden for that person that sits in the desk right next to you? Or some of those students that are in your classes? Or to your family? To the fullness of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Christ in me. The hope of glory. Okay. The elders and the deacons. In 1 Timothy 3, 1-7. to What is an elder? Well, do you know what? What do you think is an elder? Just simply. What does elder mean? Literally. Older. Yeah, I mean, it's simple English, right? I mean, even an Australian can understand what that word means. Someone that's older. You know, white hair. But you know what? My age didn't earn me that position. In other words, just because I'm 77 doesn't mean that I'm mature and wise. And you already know that. But the white hair it isn't, isn't the credit sign. It is that you have learned to walk with the Lord and applied the knowledge of the word of God into your life and you care about people and most of all you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you want others to know know him a pastor as we already talked is a shepherd has oversight and care for people it is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer or a shepherd it is a fine work It's a great work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. By the way, can I just stop there and just make this comment? I am concerned for the church of Jesus Christ in Japan. I am concerned for the population of Japan and what is happening and what we see happening that there are young men who should be taking life seriously to the point that they're not just thinking about themselves, but they need to think about the fact that the only way that they can come to true maturity and effectiveness is to take a wife. Now, I'm laying something down very serious here, and I'm getting on serious ground. But I think this is not just an accident. It's not talking just about polygamy, which was common in Paul's day. But it means that when a man takes a wife and the two of them become one, they are really reflecting the Godhead of what he plans for human beings. And when a population decides particularly men or women, I'm just going to live for myself and I'm going to live single. Now Paul said, you remember, it's better not to be married. Why? So that you wouldn't be distracted from the work of Jesus Christ. But this couple right here decided they were going to go against Paul's teaching (laughs) and take a wife. But the two of you have become one in that purpose. And in doing that, you have fulfilled God's ultimate purpose.
for a man and a woman, that they become one, and that God would use you, and he is blessing you, and I continue to bless your your marriage and your walk before the Lord, and bless you in these next months. Yeah. They're expecting, by the way, if nobody had noticed. But anyway, and that is soon. And we're looking forward to that. An overseer or a pastor then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate. In other words, not flying off the handle or doing absurd or foolish things. Prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, or pugnacious. Anybody know that word? Quarrelsome, pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with dignity. Wow. Each one of those words are packed full. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred or brought about by the devil. But he must have a good reputation with those outside the church. We should probably, when we choose our elders, we should go down the street and say, Do you know this guy, your neighbor? Is he a good example of Jesus Christ? I think this is what Paul's talking about here. A reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. High qualities, high recommendations, the bar is high. A deacon. The Greek is dakonios, which means a waiter, a servant, Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued. need to be careful there. Or addicted to much wine or fond of sword gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must also, likewise, be dignified not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Last week, Beth shared an article that was written many years ago by a man that Katie and I knew in our college days, Will Bruce, wrote about praying for your church leaders. Well, actually, it was titled, Pray for Your Pastors. But I changed it to adapt to this message, Pray for Your Church Leaders. He had some good points. His name is Will Bruce, an incredible missionary, incredible pastor, He said, pray for your leaders that they have true humility, that they not be puffed up in their leadership and their abilities or their their profession or calling. Pray that your leaders will have teachable spirits 
very, very important. Able to receive criticism graciously and to profit from it, to receive praise without becoming proud, giving God all the glory. Also pray that they will depend on God for a fruitful ministry and not on their education, methods, or personality. Pray that they will have servant hearts, eager to serve others and not expecting to be served. Pray for their stability. Pray that they will keep their eyes on the Lord and serve him with singleness of heart, not yielding to pride in their successes or to depression in their failures. Pray that they not be caught up in the world's pressures or value system. That is because of our communication and the way that things are in our world today. There's a lot of pressure on all of us, but particularly those who are in spiritual leadership. Pray for their relationships. Pray that they will know how to deal with situations that frustrate them, such as lack of gifts in some areas or confrontations by well-meaning but ungracious people in the congregation. Serious words, serious reflection. Pray that when others are right, they will accept God's grace to say, I was wrong and I am sorry. We need to pray for our church leaders. Pray that they will be patient with themselves and with others, that they will show sacrificial love in interpersonal relationships, and that they will help the congregation to unite in love as God's family. And lastly, pray for joy. You know, being a leader, church leader especially, isn't always a joyful thing. It's a heavy thing. And I know many church leaders, as having been in this position for many, many years and sitting with men that are weighted down by the problems that are in the church. And many of them get so tired, they say, I never want to be on another board. Pray for your leaders that they'll have joy in their ministry in spite of spiritual struggles and problems. A joy and peace that comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit in the midst of all circumstances. I want to thank you, the body of Christ here at MCC, for allowing Katie and I to be your pastor. It is a joy to our hearts truly is. Pray for us. You do, I know. Thank you. But there are other leaders at MCC other than me. There's men and women that give that we know about and we know what they're struggling with. And it's hard to be a leader, a spiritual leader. And I'm just going to lay it right out here. We need to pray for the church leadership of our Japanese brothers and sisters upstairs, Japanese congregation. And we've begun to do that. And what is incredible, that is in the last month or so, we have been able to gather together with the Japanese prayer group on Wednesday night, the English 
and the Japanese prayer group together and spend a short while coming together as one church at MCC. God is gracious. He wants to unite us and bring us to that place. Pray for your leaders. Pray for those who care for you spiritually. The enemy wants to pick them off, to discourage them, and make them ineffective in their calling. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. Thank you for showing us from your word what is important to you. And Jesus, your prayer that night on that mountain, praying for your 12, not perfect men, but because of their commitment to follow you, you did wonders in their lives, even though many of them gave their whole lives to you as martyrs. We would be like them. For every one of us here that name you as our Savior and Lord, we want to follow in their train. We want to be men and women that follow you with all of our hearts. You are worthy. You're worthy of our lives. And in this quiet moment, we just bow before you in our hearts. Lord of the church, anoint us, fill us, empower each one of us to be all that you desire for us to be as believers in Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, come to earth to give gifts to man. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.